Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this is Playing Playing With with Science. Science. Today we focus our attention on two of sport's biggest titans. The gloves are off as Tiger takes on Phil in a winner-takes-all, believe this, $9 million match play event from Shadow Creek Golf Course in Las Vegas. Man. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, man, indeed. Or Black Friday, or Black depending Friday. on who wins. Yes, if, if Tiger wins, it's a definitely Black Friday. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hey, you know, what's interesting about this is that it'll feature various challenges along the way, such as uh, longest drive, the yes. nearest, nearest to the hole, uh, longest putt, like all the stuff that you bet on in a regular golf game when you're playing with your friends. Yeah, so it's just like high-stakes, crazy golf, you know? And there's nothing crazier than $9 million. (laughs) Making it interesting. Oh, yeah, and helping us analyze the physics, we'll have, of course, Professor Eric Goff. But joining us first to unlock the brain sciences, neuroscientist, and our dear friend, Dr. Heather Berlin. Heather, how are you? Heather! Hey, glad to be here. It's great to have you here. Thank you. So, okay, so we were talking about, like, this is really how guys, when they get together and play golf, they're like, yo, man, let's make this interesting. Yeah. You know, like, hey, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we put a little a something on it, 10 or, bucks a hole of yeah. it. Like, you know, and so, you know, these guys are doing like on a massive scale with what guys and women do all across the nation on Saturday mornings everywhere to every golf uh, venue that's it's, open. It's, it's, a, it's an event that we could, all golfers can relate to directly right. rather than watching a PGA Masters or something like that. where with, with just two of the greatest players, you know, in the history yeah. of the sport. So I'm asking you this. Mm-hmm. What is driving some... Is it more money that will drive, like, $9 million to win? Or is it more pride? Like, mm-hmm. yo, I I got to beat this guy. Because What's getting I, them out of bed on this particular day? The yeah. money or the pride? It yeah. depends. It depends. People are going to be motivated by different reasons. So, you know, it depends on, number one, how much... For us, I mean, for me, $9 million, that would have a Im- big impact on my life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you maybe already have... 50 million, another nine isn't going to make a huge impact. This is true. Believe so, me. Speaking from experience. Obviously, right. You would know, as you would yes. know. But, um, you know, so I think the impact of the money varies depending on how much it will affect your life. Um, but these guys, you know, they're in the public eye. They're putting themselves on the line, their reputations, you know, and the risk of embarrassing themselves. You know, if one of them loses, they're no longer, you know, the greatest. Now they're the second greatest against the, the person yeah, who the wins. Person. So you're kind of the money is almost I think more of a compensation for allowing to put yourself on the line like that mm-hmm. and and engage in this. So I think probably at this level with these two guys it's more about the pride. Can the money actually do the opposite? Like for instance, I have a mm-hmm. friend Carlos, we used to play pool together. I am not the best pool player in the world. Now that sounds like a hustle immediately you say that. <laughs> 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 uh, but I would often beat this guy, often, with, As no, I said, with no problem, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. no, here's the thing. Then he would say, yo, man, like it was like he was hustling me, maybe. Oh. He would say, yo, let's put some money on this. However, it's he wasn't hustling me. I would lose to myself. Right. I wouldn't lose to him. I would beat myself. When the money was on. When the money was on the line. He would do worse. Yes. So where, right. where does Chuck brain, where does his brain go with that? And, right. And, and is it possible you'll see, and I call them in the intro, titans of sport, not mm-hmm. just golf, of sport. Mm-hmm. Is it possible you'll see someone who's been so 
event-hardened, so successful. Mm-hmm. Could they go to the same place Chuck's mind went to? Well, the thing is that with in Chuck's case, when now you're putting money on the game, you're increasing the stakes and you're changing. It's affecting your psychology. So it was before, sometimes when there's less at stake, you're more relaxed, you do better at things, mm-hmm. right? When you increase that cortisol, increase the stress, it can then interfere with your performance. Mm. So just that bit of adding a, a potential loss is what can actually mess you up. Interesting. So I want to ask you this because yeah. I have here, I'm pulling this up yeah. on my phone because I want to make sure I get it right. Mm-hmm. Golf is one of the top five most mentally challenging sports that there are. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they say that the reason is because all top five sports are individual sports. Mm-hmm. So there are no team sports that count as most mentally challenging. Yeah. Uh, and here they here they have them. Uh, number one is swimming. Number two, gymnastics. Number three is tennis. Number four is golf. Mm-hmm. And then number five, baseball, mm. which last I checked has some teammates. Right. But, uh, no, for me, it's, I mean, I'm, okay, European, British, but I look at it as the, the 21st century gunslinger kind of shootout. Oh, you mean pitcher and catcher? Pitcher, pitcher, mm-hmm. batter, hitter, whatever you want to I call it. I mean pitcher and, and batter. Yeah. So now that, that, yeah. that sort of, I've got to beat you, you've got to beat me. It's, it's right. kind of like... It's a one-on-one competition. Yeah, absolutely. It's still a one-on-one competition. Which is where we are with this right. on, on, the, on the sedate greenery of Shadow Creek Golf Course in Las Vegas. So why are these sports, namely golf, mm-hmm. so mentally taxing? Yeah. So so there's different when it's a team sport, right? You are it's it's you're cooperating with your teammates, you're acting yes. all together as one organism. There's something that we call de-individualization or it's less of a focus on the one individual and more of how you all work together. So your focus of attention is going to be external. There's something we call the executive control network that's active when you're externally focused mm-hmm. on things outside of yourself. Because you want to say, okay, who's where's my teammate? If it's soccer, you know, who yes. am I going to pass the ball to? Who's yeah. passing the ball to me? It's all about that communication between people. It's not just about you as the individual. But in these sports that you've mentioned, Chuck, it's just about you and your performance. Your biggest competition is, is against yourself. Ooh. And so you do all the physical training to train your body to know how to respond. And if all goes smoothly, your body will react in the right way. The thing now that can mess you up is yourself, is your own psyche, is your own um, sort of negative thoughts getting in the way of your performance. So if you second guess yourself, if you start stressing out about how good the other guy is doing. So what you need to do in these cases is have an internal focus of attention. What You activate what's called the default um, network in the brain or default mode network in the brain where it's almost like clearing the mind. It's a, almost a meditation and don't let the things in the external world distract you. So you almost have to block it out. Whereas in the team sport, you want to pay attention to the external. So it's two different it's mindsets. Interesting. Um, wow. You say that there's 18 holes mm-hmm. and these two guys are going to stroll around basically in each other's company mm-hmm. for these 18 holes. And it'll take however many hours it takes. Do you think they'll be trash talking? Do you think, because they've never quite been the best of buds as far as I'm aware. Right. There might be a little something said, and that's an awful long time. Even if you're able to take yourself into that state, can someone maintain it for that length of time Mm -hmm. and not crack just at the moment when, oh, you're looking a bit tired. Did you sleep well last night? Oh, is your knee bad? Anything like that. 
Mm-hmm. Does it, can can you sustain that kind of state of mind for that length of time? Well, I think that's the biggest competition. That's the game, right? Uh-huh. It's almost like a staring contest, right? Who's going to break first? So you take these two guys. I mean, you can't. The years of practice and training they've had, you can't take that away. Their bodies know what to do in different situations. They know how to adapt to changing environmental circumstances. The wind changes or, you know, the tree is in the way and how to get around it. All these things, they've built up systems and networks in their brain that will automatically respond to that. Mm -hmm. So their biggest challenge is going to be not to get psyched out, not to let their competitor say something that's going to get in and distract them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where the real game is. I doubt they're going to interact with each other because it's in neither of their interests to even go there. Go there. Yeah. Yeah. The the pay-per-view audience is desperate. For there to be a Barney halfway down right. the fairway. You know what you got to see? It's like, you know, in the boxing games, like in the beginning, the two golfers stand head to head and start like psyching each other out before the game. That oh, man, be that'd be great. That's, yeah, that's, that's what the people are paying their money for. Right. Exactly. To get one of those instances happen. Tiger, your father never loved you. I know. Oh, <laughs> that's how you psych someone out in golf. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> that might just be round one. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah. All right. So, here's something that's really funny. So, this is, I'm reading this article and it says, okay, tennis players, suffer sabotage of their nerves uh, before. So it's before the match mm-hmm. and in between play. Mm-hmm. So this is where they're most vulnerable. Uh, Golfers, mm-hmm. very much the same. Pre-round routine, pre-shot routine. Mm-hmm. This is where their game collapses. Right. Why would that be the case? So that's the thing. Once they're in the motion and doing it, it's, it's sort of set uh, something off that goes off automatically. Mm. So it's the setup. It's the mental setup where, I, as I said, the real competition takes place. And so there's something called the premotor cortex, mm-hmm. which is active when you're just imagining the move. So I think, you know, a lot of them with golf is they say, think about your swing or get into that mode or concentrate. And they call it a uh, visualization. Visualization. Visualize. Exactly. Yeah. And that's basically a routine that you're running in your head before your body actually enacts it. Um, and that sets it up for what it's going to do next. Once the action takes place, it's almost like it's too late. So the setup is the most important part of it. And that's why that's where the most stress can come in. That's where your thoughts can mess up your performance. Because once you're doing it, it's done in a sense. It's, so that's the key moment. Do you know what happens? And it happens not just in uh, a one-on-one sport like tennis or golf, but it will happen in in a soccer game or mm-hmm. a football game or something, you'll do something and it hasn't worked out the way you intended and it's caused a problem for your team, for you, everything else. You no longer are able to focus on the moment and what's coming. I'm you're not, thinking about the past, the yeah, mistake. and the... I always call it on. you're on rewind. You're on a loop. Mm-hmm. You're on a loop. You're reliving. You're reliving the things going on in front of you, but you're reliving this other thing. So what's happening with the brain there? So great, um, there's, there's, so your greatest enemy, and that's basically prefrontal cortex, which, which thinks about, um, causes you anxiety, thinks about your mistakes, uh, how to, you know, how I could have done it differently. What are people thinking about me? How am I hitting the ball? You know, it just goes on and on. And so what you want to do is quiet the mind. And then actually you want to decrease prefrontal cortex. That's a great idea. But in the moment, yeah, if you can imagine you've sliced one off into the trees, mm-hmm. and you know that you're about to. 
it's so difficult to grab that firmly and bring it back. What, what really, how much discipline do you need to be able to do that? It's about letting go. And I think the best players are best at doing that. Yeah. And that's a, a sort of what we talk about is mindfulness. It's focusing. There are ways to refocus your mind to be in the moment. I mean, practicing meditation and, you know, studying what happens in the brain of monks who can refocus, recenter their thoughts to just be in the moment. It's all about the moment. And I think that's what the best athletes have trained themselves to do especially in these sports like golf and mm. tennis yeah so it's funny now you just said that just be in the moment and mm. this is um uh, the same article that i'm reading here that says uh the one big difference between golfers and everyone else is the struggle of how to deal with unoccupied time between mm -hmm holes and each ball so you got to walk to the next thing you got to think all that time you're sitting there watching your opponent do his mm -hmm. thing you got to think all that time so that's just, i guess that's what you're talking it's about when like, you say be in the moment absolutely it's just like all of us in life right it's the downtime where our thoughts can escape us and that's yes. when all the negativity comes in right I call it empty space the empty space and is the most dangerous Mm -hmm. Do you let the squirrels come in? Do you let all the other stuff oh, run yeah. around and get distracted? Lots of squirrels up here. In this. Or do you go monk mode? Which I'm now I'm now labeling monk mode. I like that monk just mode. Monk okay, mode. just credit yeah, me to that. Yeah, that's right. But I think also that's why a lot of these go, um, and swimmers as well. You see Michael Phelps. They wear headphones. They listen to music before and they try to get in the zone, mm -hmm. which is about don't let your thoughts. It's turning down the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. And we see that pattern of brain activation when people are daydreaming. You know, when they're meditating, certain types of hypnosis. When you let go of these self criticism of questioning yourselves of thinking about the past and you're just completely in the moment. So music can help get you there. So if I was this golfer, perhaps I'd play some kind of meditative type of music in between and just focus in on that internal world. I wonder if, the, yeah. if they have rules where you're not allowed. I've never seen a golfer do that. Take headphones or oh, interesting. they might have rules where like one of the rules is you have to walk to the next hole. Uh -huh. One of the rules is maybe you can't. Your caddy could you, be a rapper. That'd be cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, we're reinventing golf, baby. Right. Yeah, get the rapper out there all of a sudden between... That'd be kind of cool. Be, man, yeah, yeah just cool. like... <laughs> Don't worry what you miss. No, whatever. I'm not going to try it. I'm not going to try it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> They'll take my black card. <laughs> Don't do like, that. That was awful. And your husband's like a prolific rapper. He's so, a rapper. Which is so funny. But yeah, just speaking of rap and how it relates to sports, it's interesting that some of the top rappers will no longer freestyle in public because they don't want to risk messing up and embarrassing oh, themselves. Right. So now so we have a complete relation right. to what we're discussing here. Yeah, because the, like Tiger Woods, why why would he be motivated to put himself on the line of this and potentially embarrass himself and lose? But that's where the money comes in and the motivation to do it. Right. But it's the same thing with the rappers. They're not going to just freestyle and, and risk doing it poorly for nothing. For nothing. Right, but if exactly. you pay him 50 Dude, you million. just rhyme bread with bread. Like, you suck. <laughs> like Jay-Z, so man. words like thread and Fred and dread. And you went bread with bread? God, you're the worst. Okay. Uh, <laughs> street cred. Oh, man. It's cred. There you go. Street cred. Okay. Mm. That's the older white guy yeah. entering into this conversation. <laughs> Dr. Heather Berlin, what a pleasure. As always, thank you so much. But we're going to keep you, if you don't mind. Yes. Oh, yeah, sure. We are going to take a break. Yeah, let's take a break. When we come back, the physics, they're in. The swing, the course, the ball, whatever you need to know. The good professor, Professor Eric Goff, will be with us when we come back.
Welcome back to Playing With Science and our Tiger versus Phil, show me the money, $9 million matchup. Which, by the way, you just told me uh, a pretty interesting fact of why it's $9 bucks instead of $10 million. Yeah, it's something to do with both players being part of the PGA Tour, and I think the finalists get $10 million, and therefore they didn't want to compete with that. So it's now this kind of old $9 million dollar figure. Nice. Now, if I'm wrong, I apologize for throwing that out there as a false factoid. But if I'm right, go me. Yay. There you go. Right. Either way, it sounds good. And as yeah. far as I'm concerned, you could be president of the United States. Okay. <laughs> Not today. Right. So we have <laughs> Professor Eric Goff, University of Lynchburg, joining us. and But still with us is Dr. Heather Berlin, neuroscientist. So it uh, be an interesting conversation. We've got. Absolutely. But, Professor, welcome to Playing with Science once again. Glad to be here, and I'll definitely take Gary over our current president. Okay, so let's look at Shadow Creek, Las Vegas. Um, What can we expect from this particular course, Professor? Well, the the course is 7,560 yards at a par 72, and I think both golfers are going to find the third hole very challenging. Uh, Most of the holes are straight. So when you look at the third hole, you've got a par four, but it's going to clock in at 486 yards, and you got water on the side of it. Now, I think when you're looking at the difficult holes for each golfer, there are going to be three holes that dog left, one, four, and seven, and you're going to have three holes that are going to dog leg to the right, which are 10, 16, and 18. So I think if you got a, you know, a left-handed golfer like Phil Mickelson, who's going to want to do perhaps a little bit of a slice whenever he swings, try to angle this to the left a little bit, he might have an advantage on the fir- those first three that I mentioned. If you want to slice a little bit to the right, then Tiger's going to be on the ladder, the back nine, the 10, 16, and 18 holes. Mm-hmm. So what is, what's the physics of slicing and hooking? Like uh, when you're hitting the ball and... The slice is to the right, right? Is that how it goes? Yeah, well, it depends if you're right hand. It depends if you're right hand. Right hand, you're going to hit from left to right if right. you're hooking your you're right to left. Right to left. Yeah. So, but what yeah. happens, because they don't really want to do that. I mean, sometimes they want to do that on purpose. And they do. Right. Sometimes they want to do it on purpose. But I'm saying if you're going straight down a fairway, you want the ball to go as straight and as far as possible, what causes it not to do that? Well, when you're hitting the golf ball and you you hit it, you you square it, and then you're going to get some backspin on that ball. And what's going to happen is the ball is going to achieve some magnus force with a lift going up. But if you slice it, if you're right-handed and you slice it and it starts to spin in this direction, then the magnus force is going to send it off to your right. If you're a right-handed golfer, it's going to send it off to the left if you're a left-handed golfer. Gotcha. So it's really all about the spin of the ball and where you put the face of the club on the surface of the ball. And if you push it one way so it's spinning to the right, then you're going to get the, the now, slice. You've got to think multidimensional here right. because it's not just a left, right, right, left. No, it's spinning back and so right or back and right. left. So, for instance, if I'm dropping that ball onto the green, because now I'm an elite golfer, by the way, just mm. in case you were wondering. That's right. Yeah, That's and right. I know that green's on an angle and the pin is towards the lower end of it. I'll overhit it with some backspin. Right, so, so and, it'll and, roll backwards to the and pin. So, I mean, it's just the ability... To be able to have soft hands and feelable. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always talk about pilots and racing drivers having an intuitive feel. The car, the aircraft is an extension of them. Mm-hmm. It must then 
Doctor, being exact same replication for a golfer, that club is now just another part of their body. Yeah, I mean, you after a lot of years of training, what you do is you have this pre-motor cortex, which is the planning out. Okay, you have the plan of how you're going to do the shot. Okay, yeah, okay. and then there's the actually carrying that out. So that's going to involve the motor cortex. Also, the cerebellum, which is these fine motor movements and smooth and balance and, and these sort of more refined aspects of motor movement. Then you have other parts of the brain that are involved in proprioception, your right. awareness of your body and space and how it's moving. Right. You know, and then you have also the something called the entorhinal cortex, which is like your GPS system. Say that again now. The entorhinal cortex. <laughs> the entorhinal cortex. Ent no, <laughs> GPS. Uh, okay. GPS. The GPS part the of GPS the brain. Part Entel rhinal. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Entel rhinal cortex. Entel anal prone cortex. <laughs> but, Go sit over there. <laughs> sit in the corner, Chuck. Yeah. No. So <laughs> that kind of is like navigating in space and, right. and remembering where things are in space. So you have to enact all of these parts of the brain, which you've trained mm. over time so that when you psychologically say, okay, I want to do it, you know, hit it there and then have it do a backspin. Well, in carrying it out, right. all these aspects of the brain have to be in coordination for the, the big mo mo muscle movements, the fine muscle movements, right. and, and knowing where your body is in space and all of that. So it's it's a whole um, con a sort of a orchestra of different parts parts in the brain like working together. Right. It's so funny when you talk about proprioception, there's a training where, so, I mean, people think it's corny when you see, uh, what is it, that movie where they blindfold the guy, Karate Kid, and he's oh, blindfolded yes. and standing on sure a pole. you sure that's what you're thinking about? Yes, I am. Okay, fine. But he's blindfolded and standing on a pole, and that's actual training for balanced athletes, mm -hmm. because when you close your eyes, your proprioception is completely that's off. Right. That's right. You and know you have to engage everything else. Right, exactly. Yeah. So the idea yeah. is to do it without relying on your vision, right. and it fine-tunes the other areas of your brain. Like that your, inner you, your inner ear and all these other aspects. And that helps you with balance. Right. Wow. Right. Professor, you said... The brain is amazing! <laughs> well, welcome to the world. <laughs> uh, you talked about this course and uh, the fairways being particularly straight. Who, to your mind, will have a better opportunity on the fairways off the tee in terms of which game will be stronger and better suited to this type of fairway? Well, Tiger does have about a two and a half yard driving average distance uh, advantage over Phil, and he's actually a little bit better with driving accuracy. And this course is designed to be somewhat difficult off the tee. So Tiger get, gets about 59% of his fairways this year, and, and, and Phil's only getting about 52%. So there's a slight advantage to Tiger uh, this year on the way he's been driving uh, for distance and for getting accuracy on the greens. Mm. Now, just, just to give you an idea of what one of these dogleg holes is like, the, the fourth hole is a par five, 581 yards, and it's going to dogleg right to the, or to the left. It's a monster. And you're going to have to That's hit this hole. thing about 280 yards just to get it to that first turn left. But if you're hitting it too far, you're going to go right into the trees. If you're a little you know, short or if you try to hit this thing too far to the left, you're going to be right in the water or a sand trap. So they're going to, have to be very careful with when they play these dog legs mm -hmm. to make sure they're not in the trees or in the in the water. Is there a hole particularly that is most challenging for one golfer or the other, depending upon the game that they play? Well, I, I definitely think that if, if you're going to try to, you know, play these dog legs a little bit to the advantage of the course where 
you're going to try to maybe play a slice to get it to hook a little bit where that turn is, then, you know, as I was saying, the dog leg lefts are going to happen on the, the front nine and the dog leg rights are going to be on the back nine. So if you're trying to get this thing to uh, angle left, let's say, if you're going to be Phil trying to slice this thing and get it to curl around the dog leg, uh, he's going to have the advantage on those holes one, four, and seven. Tiger would be more on 10, 16, and 18 coming up toward the finish. It's interesting, interesting. because... At no point is anyone going to gamble on this, right? Right? Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. Really, right? yeah. So <laughs> now, now you've outlined that, you can bet those that do are analyzing along the lines of the professor. Yeah. And they'll load up to get money on Phil on those particular holes and possibly to be in the lead on the first nine. And then they'll jump and go on to Tiger to go that and then maybe have a decision on who they think will win. That's interesting. And so the physics behind it now is going to enable people's thinking you as should, to how. You should put out some betting lines, Dr. Uh, open up, open up a stall in Vegas. We'll fly, fly the professor down to Vegas. We'll get a little boost. I mean, Tiger's had a great comeback year after his back surgery. I mean, around the greens, he's number one this year in strokes gained for approach shots. And Phil is about a half stroke behind him. So when you start getting near the greens, Tiger's going to have about a half stroke advantage during the entire course. Selling the tiger. Selling Although the Phil's tiger. got a slight advantage. <laughs> Phil's been putting slightly better this year, so if, if Phil can get it on the uh, green, he might have a slight advantage on the putting. Well, well drive for show, putt for dough. Uh, I was just going to say, I find it really interesting, the um, analysis in terms of the statistics of a human behavior, right? It's almost, it reminds me of that, like, the Moneyball guy who was doing all those yeah, stats on the... Yeah. But, you know, human behavior is notoriously very difficult to predict. So although we have these, you know, statistics and who tends to do better on what... In the moment, mm -hmm. you know, I think anything could, and, and a mental change can affect all these statistics in terms of their be previous behavior. And, and you know, maybe something like free will or certain things. See, that's, that's why. Mm, well. <laughs> but there's no such thing as free will. I was going to say, do we believe in free no, will? No, we don't. That's why these guys no, are there being, is no free will. No, oh, look no at this. We're all in the green. Hey, hey. Look at that. But look are we all, all just Look statistics? at all the scientists, no matter what the discipline. Everybody jumps at, no, there is no free, no free will. will. What is your problem? You yeah, see the thing is, what, we, what, what you would do as an elite athlete, as someone who's at the very pinnacle of their game, right? you have been so practiced you have taken out that element or taken out but reduced it to such a small area of inconsistency mm -hmm. people will now follow you spend money mm -hmm. on or against you because of your consistency or lack mm -hmm. of therein and that may fluctuate mm -hmm. for over a course of weeks months or years or diminish at a certain time in right. your career so let me ask you this heather um with respect to what we were just talking about, what Eric was talking about previously and the difficult holes, mm -hmm. let's say you're the first three holes you're doing super well and it's, mm -hmm. you know, happy-go-lucky. And then you know in your mind the fourth mm -hmm. hole, you always mess up on this That's your hole. kryptonite. That's right. Right, right. What happens in the brain that makes that actually come true? Where, mm -hmm. you know, you it's I look at it's it like... It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So it, your thoughts can affect your behavior. We know that. So if you change your mindset, if you think you're going to do poorly, if you're told, for example, 
you're going to do poorly on this math test, people tend to do worse than if they're yeah. told, like with girls, you know, girls tend to do better on math and they'll do better on the math test. Right. So telling yourself, oh, this is the hole that I usually mess up on is going to really negatively affect your performance. The other thing with this game, which is interesting in terms of the psychology, is that the way it's set up in terms of the holes that Tiger will do better at and the ones that Phil will do better at, the order in which that occurs could affect the game. So if like your really good holes or you know at the end, mm. that's going to have a certain effect. Right. So that's the, going to be major pressure. Yeah. Right, right. So I think that the the order in which the uh, uh, the difficulty is set up and it's different between the two different players is going to have a, a significant effect. Professor, um, is there one or there may be more than one particular hole that has a particular interest to you as a physicist as to it might be a par three that's really tricky and it might be one that drops down and you have to have a more vertical approach. Is there anything like that on this particular course? Actually, I think the the hole that interests me is the third hole. It, it, I mentioned this before. It's going to yeah. be a very challenging hole. It's a, it's a par four, but it's 486 yards. And it, it's, it's quite a narrow uh, fairway. You've got some... Uh, water off to one side, you've got some traps, and you know you, you might have Tiger coming up with that stinger two iron of his trying for a real low trajectory to get a roll, but if he just misses very, very slightly, I mean, he's going to be in the, in the sand or in the trees. So you have to be very, very careful uh, going for distance on a hole like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm really anxious to see what that third hole provides. When, when Would you call the, the third hole the signature hole of the course or is there another one out there that's going to cause a lot of interest? Uh, I would definitely call the third hole the hardest. Um, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the six dog-legged holes and then you got eight holes with water traps near them so those things always make for very interesting play when the you know, I mean, to, to piggyback a little bit on what, what Heather was saying, I mean, the, the interesting thing about you know the way the mind is work is you have these laws of physics that are guiding all these processes that are happening. And then the emergent behavior gets very unpredictable, even if you do have the statistics. But once they start hitting the ball, of course, then the laws of physics are going to govern how this ball is going to travel. So all these little perturbations to the initial conditions and how they hit it could lead to these vastly different results in how they get the ball toward the tee. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, a whole like, you know, number three is going to be one that I'm really going to be interested to see. Are there any kind of environmental effects that might come into play that, you know, if you're watching this at home and you've spent your money on pay-per-view that you're not quite aware of, but the golfers themselves, is there going to be a desert breeze? Are we going to suffer an awful high temperature? Um, it's unlikely to get a lot of humidity, but will there be those sort of factors that come into affect some of the physics? Well, you, you got to, I don't know if you, if, you've, if you haven't looked at this course from Google Earth, it's worth doing because it sits, uh, it's this rectangular shaped course that sits in a a uh, bunch of neighborhoods and you have all this sand and you don't have these, you know, large parking lots because I don't think they're even going to have a gallery there. And, you know, you, you don't have the, the you know, kind of traditional looking large golf course spectacle. Uh, there's some private re residences. You got a clubhouse. But when you're watching the, the play on the on the pay-per-view, I mean, you got this Bermuda grass that they're going to be using, which is good for the desert. And this bent grass near the greens, which has to be watered a lot, you know, you're out there in this uh, arid uh, climate. So the, the holes are going to be pretty fast on the greens, but a lot of this is going to be due to the to the, how the groundskeeping is done ahead of time. Because if they don't mm -hmm. cut it too low, if they're not, you know, if they're really going to try to 
make sure that the scores aren't going to be too high. You know, they're not going to cut the course in such a way that it's going to be too difficult. So, you know, a lot of this is going to be coming down to how the groundskeepers are going to oh, do it. Oh, groundskeeper Willie, once That's again, right. determining. You are so predictable <laughs> with that. So the devil's going to be in the detail, particularly on the greens. I mean, so much as the varietal of grass, it's going to be, and this comes down to the friction, how short they want to cut them. And then, of course, obviously, the pin changes that they'll make on the greens themselves. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it, you know, every, and you're going to have holes that are going to have, you know, some of the par threes are going to have to be hit, the ball is going to have to be hit over the trees. So, you know, there are going to be some really interesting holes and, you know, Obviously, I mean, Heather can speak to more of this than I could, but I mean, if one of them starts getting a lead early on, then, you know, are they, is the other one going to want to start taking more chances, trying to, you know, play for that long distance? I mean, you got to hold. I mean, I mean, like hole 11 is a, is a par four. It's 324 yards. I mean, if Tiger's about, say, two strokes down by hole 11, is he going to try to go for it on that one mm-hmm. uh, that one hole? <laughs> so let me ask you this. That's just a, yeah. a very interesting point that uh, Eric just made, mm-hmm. or Dr. Goff. Um, let's say you are now, you're losing, right? Mm-hmm. And you make an act of desperation, and it works out. Ooh. What happens in the brain then? Do you now just feel like, more relaxed. I'm going balls out. I'm just going to do whatever because things are going my way, baby. Or do you say, all right, I'm back to even now. Let me get back on track. What is What kind of normally happens in the brain? Well, I think there's a difference between what would normally happen in a person's brain and between a trained athlete, right? Okay. So what's interesting with Tiger Woods is if, um, I always thought he's an interesting case because if you look at his personal life, you know, he got in a lot of trouble with sort of reckless impulsive behavior, yes. you know, cheating on his wife right. and and lots of sexual a lot escapades. Of, a lot of bad prefrontal cortex right. that which would not, there. Yeah, which would not do well for his prefrontal cortex. But I always use him as a case example because although he was impulsive in these other aspects of his life, when it comes to golf, he's the opposite. He's extremely focused, you know, and you're you're really using your prefrontal cortex when you're when you're at that level of, of, of focus and concentration. So I think when it comes to golf, we call it dissociation. I think mm-hmm. there's a sort right. of dissociation of behavior. And and the best player are able to um, just focus on the game and not be affected or try to be affected as little as possible by what has just happened before. So in the regular human brain, I would say, yes, you know, you do something reckless. You're like, oh, now I'm on a roll. I'm going to keep going with this or whatever. But with with these kinds of golfers at this level of play, I'm going to say that they're going to not be as affected by these these fluctuations in the game throughout. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Who knew dissociative behavior had a good role to play in your life? It's adaptive. It could be adaptive. Let's go back to that. They get out of their own I'll remember that the next time I bury a, never mind, a body. (laughs) I'm glad you edited that. So so getting out of your own head. It doesn't bother me at all. (laughs) Hey, what what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Oh! Oh. Dr. Goff, bringing it home, baby. yeah. (laughs) And I think that's a great line to end on. Yeah, it Um, is. Thank you to Dr. Heather Berlin. Thank you to Professor Eric Goff from... University of Lynchburg in Virginia. Get out of your head, Chuck. I see the tiger thing. Get out of your head. Get out of my own head, baby. (laughs) Yes. Get out of my head and into my car. Let me leave you with one last tiger bit. Okay. Oh. The average force between that golf ball and the club hit when it's hit is going to be about two tons, and that's going to be twice what a tiger bite is. 
Oh. Nice. Look at that. I see what you did there with the tiger and the tiger. Oof. Yes, right on. I'm going to call that a club drop. Bang. Hey. Yeah. That's been Playing With Science, a golf special. Fabulous Professor Eric Goff and Dr. Heather Berlin. I've been Gary O'Reilly. And I've been Tiger Woods. And this has been Playing With Science. <laughs>